0: Hey, I'm back. Did you miss me? Acts chapter 28. Do you believe it? We made it all the way through the entire book of Acts. And what we get left with at the end of this is just so, so interesting. Two things that I'm going to point out to you. And the first one we're going to spend most of the time on is this, uh, this warning that uh, Luke relays to us. He's quoting Paul, who's quoting Isaiah, who's quoting God. You got that? We're gonna unpack all of that. But if I were to translate that warning into, um, I don't know, I love just like you know, pithy expressions and and a turn of a phrase. And there's a couple that come to mind. One of the, one of them is um, I'm my own worst enemy. Uh, another one might be um, shooting myself in the in the foot as an expression, or um, things things along those lines. And they they point to uh, I can't get out of my own way. That could be my favorite one. Um, Probably because it just applies to me most. (laughs) Um, But what those all kind of point to is there's some pretty clear direction that someone has given me and for whatever reason, I either choose to do something different or, you know, circumstances beyond my control, something happens to me, whatever, that I I just end up going in in the opposite direction. And that... That's kind of the crux of the warning that we get at the end of chapter 28, that I think there's a lot that we can, we can take from that. Um, and within the warning is, as always, is God's heart for us and his desire to be in relationship with us. So before we get there, um, we're going to kind of paraphrase the first bulk of, of chapter 28, and then we're going to read a handful of verses and really focus in on those. David did a great job last week talking about this shipwreck and how Paul and his shipmates survived. All 270-plus of them survived this crash. And as they all make it to shore, they swim, doggy paddle float, they make it to this island called Malta. And the local inhabitants, are they're welcoming, they're friendly. They, they take it, the guys in, and they start building the fire because everybody's cold from the swim, and Paul is helping build the fire, and as he's helping build the fire, a snake latches on to his hand. He looks at it, shakes it off, and everybody's looking at him like, what did this dude do that he was in a shipwreck, survives a shipwreck, only to get bitten by a snake? But nothing happens to him. He's fine. So all the locals look at him like, oh my gosh, this this is crazy. So, Paul goes on about being Paul. Shipwreck shakes that off. Snake shakes that off. Finds out one of the local dignitaries' father is sick. So, he goes and he meets with him and he talks to him and he prays for him and he heals him. Word of that gets out, and everybody who's sick is brought before Paul. And Paul does all these great healings. And as a result, not only Paul, but all of the people that he's with are honored by the inhabitants of this island and they're cared for for three months. Not only are they cared for, but they set them up to finish their trip to Rome. And I just I, God has a, a sense of humor. So the first bullet in my little notes there, Pollux and Castor, those are actually Roman gods. And the ship that Paul gets placed on to go to Rome is dedicated to those two Roman gods. The, actually, the figurehead, the statues on the front of the ship are of those two guys. I just think it's hysterical that God would choose... This boat dedicated to these supposed other gods to take Paul to Rome so Paul can preach of the one true God at the center of the most powerful empire in the world at that time. God's got a sense of humor. So they make their trip. They land in Italy. Word gets out that Paul's almost there. People from Rome start making the trip. They're, they're several days away at this point, and they travel that several days' journey to see Paul. And the fact that they would make that trip encourages Paul. It gladdens his heart that people would <clears throat> excuse me, come to see him. So they make their way to Rome. And so let's remember, Paul is still a prisoner. He finds out that while he's waiting to go before Caesar, he's going to be under house arrest, so he gets to rent his own place, but he's going to have a Roman guard literally monocled, shackled to him the whole time. So think about that, right? Everything from what we've learned about Paul, the preaching, the teaching, the encouraging, the correcting, the healing, the praying, all that stuff is going to happen with a Roman guard attached to his wrist. And I'm guessing, you know, they probably work like you know, four different guys across throughout a day, and those guys rotate through. None of them have probably heard who Jesus is. They're going to know who Jesus is by the time Paul is done with those two years that he, that he spends with them. So Paul's at his, his house um, and he calls for the leadership of the Jewish community because he wants to make sure that the, no misinformation has gotten to them because he understands what happened in Jerusalem, the trials that he went through, the riots that he's, are blamed on him. So he has a conversation and they report no news. They haven't heard anything bad that happened in Jerusalem and nothing bad about Paul. So from there... Paul's like, great, let's, you know, let's get some more people and let's carry on this conversation. There's some things that I want to tell you about. And they're like, that's what we want to know about. We've heard lots of stuff about the way, this, this sect, what they call the sect of Judaism that was growing all around the world. So that's where we pick up Acts chapter 28. We're gonna jump in in verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave Paul after he made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation... So that switches, right? Paul was reading that quote, reciting that quote from Isaiah, and now this has jumped back to Paul talking. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All right, so I told you I was going to read a bunch and we're going to focus. I want to reread, I want to reread those three verses that we're going to focus on. This is 26, 27, 28. This is the quote from Isaiah Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. All right, so I want to talk us through what all of that would have, how all of that would have landed on that original audience. When when Paul is telling them that, They're just like their ancestors who are hearing, but not understanding, seeing, but not perceiving. Um, it's, It's God's plan for them. It's God's desire to be in relationship with them that they're not paying attention to. And that goes all the way back to the beginning. God's plan was for God and humanity, man and woman, for humanity to rule over the earth. Man and woman would rule over the earth. They would live with God, like God, under his guidance and his direction. That was the plan. But almost from the very beginning, people rebelled against that plan. Adam and Eve, they thought that God was holding out on them, so they tried to grab a little bit of goodness on their own. Um, we think about the, the people um, before the flood, and the world had become violent because they were all scrapping, because they couldn't get enough without hurting each other. You think about um, Genesis chapter 11 and the the tower, or maybe chapter nine, I'm not sure, the Tower of Babel. People wanted their name to become greater than the name of God. We think about um, the whole nation of Israel. God frees them from slavery, frees them from slavery, but they're wandering around the desert, but they're with God. And they would rather go back to slavery rather than be with God in the desert. And then the kings of Israel, the kings of Israel are like that, that dog in the movie Up, squirrel, right? They're, just, they're distracted by every shiny, blinky thing that the nations that surround them, they think everything else is better than the God who has promised them all these blessings. I found this quote that I wanted to share with you that, that really encapsulates the focus of, of the Old Testament. The focus has been both on God's plan to bless humankind by providing them with that which is good and on human failure to trust God and enjoy the good God had provided. The characteristic mark of this failure has been the attempt by humans to grasp the good on their own. To grasp the good on their own. Think about that. Adam and Eve, people of the flood, the Tower of Babel, Nation of Israel, all those things that I listed what a great description of that sad situation, the sad situation that we still live in. So the consequences of that rebellion, right? Separation from God. Not just separation from God, but instead of turning back towards God from initial rebellion, people just wander further and further away. And then we, they, we struggle with the, the hardships and the suffering and the disappointment when we look to things other than the one true God, to be satisfied. We look at other things and expect them to fulfill the role of God and we're disappointed. And when we do that, it creates hardships and it creates suffering. We bring it upon ourselves and we bring it upon each other. It doesn't end there though. It, It doesn't end with bad news. God continues to invite people to return to relationship with him. He did it through Moses. He did it through the prophets. He ultimately did it through himself in the person of Jesus. Right? The invitation is to back into relationship with and through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through what Jesus did when he was alive through his death and his resurrection. And just like the people who Paul was talking to, some people heard and responded and some people didn't. Some people heard and responded, and some people didn't. You guys, here's the thing. God's plan will not be stopped, right? He's gonna keep inviting people. He's gonna keep inviting you. He's gonna keep inviting me. He's gonna keep as many people as he can, he wants to invite into relationship with him. But what happens is, is that the longer we go, ignoring God, looking to other things to be God, it gets harder and harder to hear from God. It gets harder and harder to see his hand. It gets harder and harder to feel him move. But his plan won't be stopped, right? The invitation is still there. And I think in those very passages, those those three, um, those three verses, is the key to what we can do to join god in his plan to make ourselves available to respond to what he's doing to what he's saying to where he's trying to catch our eye so i've kind of dubbed these um this hope that we have in these verses the anatomy of faith because it talks about ears eyes and heart and we're going to break down each one of those and i'm going to i'm going to teach a little bit and then i'm going to give us a moment for reflection to reflect on each one of those things. I'm going to teach a little bit. And we're gonna go back and forth as we work our way through those three things. So the first one ears. Really interesting in this passage, right? It doesn't say that the people then us now, it doesn't say that we can't hear. We can hear, but we don't understand. And what what's required for understanding? And what I would suggest to you is that this Uh, mention of ears is a watch out to us to take notice of our pace if we are going at light speed we could never we can't understand what god is going to be speaking to us even if we hear him right we need to slow down we need to take time we need to think we need to follow jesus's example Scripture doesn't say anywhere that Jesus hurried off, that Jesus dashed off, that Jesus ran from this event to that event, to this person to that person. Jesus was methodical. He was slow. He was intentional. Um, I'm not going to try to say his name, but there's a, a Japanese theologian who, um, who wrote a book called, I think it's called The Speed of God. I'll, get the, I'll put it in the notes. I'll get the, the title. But basically the idea is this, is that um, three-mile-an-hour God, that's what it's called, three-mile-an-hour God, Three miles an hour is about how fast the average person walks. Right? Jesus walked. That's what defined him as a God. He was slow and methodical so he could understand. He went away early in the morning to spend time with his father. He went away to a solitary place to pray. While people were looking for him, he was intentional about making time so he could understand. So we could understand with the word that his father was giving him so he could act upon that. We're gonna take 60 seconds right now and I want you to notice your pace. What is it that God might be trying to impress upon you about your pace that could be keeping you from understanding what he's trying to say? Maybe you're tracking and maybe your pace is, is slowed down and that's enabled you to greater understand what God is doing. Notice your pace. So, we need to slow down. We need to be able to understand what God is saying to us. The scripture says that they will be ever seeing, but never perceiving, perceiving. Right? Again, it's not that we can't see. It's that we're not understanding what we are seeing. And what I would suggest is that it's because our eyes are fixed on the wrong thing, Right? talk all the time about eyes fixed on Jesus. What is it that your eyes are fixed upon? What, are you, what is your personal agenda? What are your goals? Do you want what Jesus wants? Now, this is, this is not like a guilt trip. This is not like meant to stir up bad feelings. Jesus wants you to have good things. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that um, God will give us the desires of our heart when we delight in him. Jesus is not opposed to us having good things, nice things. Jesus is opposed to us settling for cheap counterfeits. Jesus wants us to have good things, and he will put those in front of us if we would have the eyes to see, if we would take the time to get in alignment with him. Right? So here's another 60 seconds. What is it that you notice about your? personal agenda what is it that you think God might be trying to impress upon you about your goals All right, last one, heart. So the verse says that people's hearts have been calloused. You dive into that word calloused in the original language and it actually has two meanings. It's hardened, right? Just like you would think about if somebody is, does manual labor and they're gonna have calluses on their hands. But the other one is fattened. That's the other meaning of the word that was used for callous. So if we think about it, right, metaphorically, I think we can take that hardening of the heart, our inability to understand that hardening of the heart happens as a result of pain. That metaphorical hardening of the heart happens as a result of pain. Our hearts become calloused. It's a defense mechanism, right, to protect us. If we're hurt, by the same thing over and over and over again. Or if we're hurt by many different things, our heart becomes calloused to protect it. But what, ha- what happens is that callous doesn't know the difference, right? It, it, God is trying to break through that pain. God, God will never leave us alone in our pain. He promises to meet us right in the middle of it. And to walk with us through it. He doesn't promise to take it away. He promises to meet us there. But we will never feel that. We will never experience that if that if we can't move beyond that callousing. Physically, right, if we think about the heart and the fattening of the heart. What what fattens a heart? It blocks, right? It creates a blockage. Believe me, I love red meat and Bur Blanc sauce and ice cream probably more than the next person. But if that's all I ate, it would kill me because it would harden the arteries. It would harden my heart. So if, if the metaphorical callousing of our heart, right, if that's, if that's pain, the flip side of that coin, the physical hardening of our heart would be pleasure, right? Those things that I meant, the red meat and the beurre blanc, those are good things, and God wants us to have good things, but he doesn't want that to be our focus because when we're focused on the good things that he provided, when we make those the ultimate thing, we lose track of him and we lose the ability to feel him and to move with him and to experience him because we're so caught up in chasing after pleasure. So your last 60 seconds of reflection for today. What is it that you notice about pain and pleasure in your life what is it that god might be trying to impress upon you about the pain you experience and about the pleasure that you chase you took advantage of those brief moments of reflection and I would encourage you to take those questions and continue the, that thought experiment through the week so the the first half of our process is what is it that God is trying to say to us the second half is what are we gonna do about it and God has given us some great um, some great tools some great benefits to help us in that process he's given us his word to help confirm if what we feel God might be impressing on us if that's just from us, if it's just a wacky idea, or is it really God speaking to us? If it's God speaking to us, it will agree with scripture. We also have brothers and sisters who can help us interpret what we might be thinking and feeling. So get out your Bibles, call up, text, message, get somebody else involved, tell them, tell them what you think you might have heard or felt God um, expressing to you. So right after Luke um, you know, captures that account of Paul talking to the Jewish community, he goes immediately, immediately, he goes into, uh, Paul was there for two years, he taught, no obstacles, boldness, the end. What, what kind of crazy, what happens to Paul? Does he go before Caesar? Does he die? Does he? What, what? Luke ends the book of Acts with a dot dot dot, and many scholars suggest that I agree. The reason why he did that is because the book of the Acts, right? It's called the Acts of the Apostles. It lives on in the Acts of the Church. The story of Acts is the story of the early Church. This story is still being written. It's still being written here in Crossroads and all other places where people come together for the purpose of chasing after Jesus. It's still being written. Your story is still being written. My story is still being written. So regardless of what you feel God might have been impressing upon you, maybe it was correction, Maybe maybe it was a hard correction, maybe it was an encouragement, whatever you might have heard, God is not done with you yet. He's not done with me. He's not done with us. He's still writing the story of the church. He's got good things for us. He's got blessings for us. But but, in order for us to understand, we have to look. We have to experience. We have to listen. Will you listen